Hey everyone, uh, it's Colleen here, and I'm here with Karin Liljegren, the boss woman here at Am Givning, which is a Swedish word, which she will share a little bit more about what that means in a few minutes. And Karin is um, so the head of this amazing architecture and design firm. It's one of the most recognized here in um, downtown Los Angeles, um, not only because they do stellar work, but but also because they focus on strengthening urban communities through design. And their projects are so vast. Um, and I'm especially excited to see how they are restoring just the gorgeous historical buildings um, here in downtown for living and work. Um, and there's just so much to unpack in our conversation today. So I'm excited to talk with Karin and, and really just understand the mission and vision behind Am Givning and how um, Karin is helping to beautify the city of the angels. Uh, one building at a time. So, first off, we have to talk about the name. Um, give name. <laughs> and the, you know, the Swedish meaning behind that and what it embodies. So, if you could speak to that just a little bit. Sure. So, um, I'm giving is a Swedish word and it means the way a space feels around you. Um, I, when I started this firm, I wanted to really kind of combine architecture and interior design and not have it ever be a separate thing, but it's like a cohesive thing. But it's, uh, to me, what's so great about um, design in the built environment is how a space makes you feel. Um, and so that's what it means. And plus I was trying to find a word that wasn't my last name because it's so difficult, but I found one that was just as difficult. <laughs> I, no, I, I think um, the way you were explaining it to me earlier is that there's no word like this in the American language yeah. in English. So. Yeah. That's perfect. And um, you really pride yourself on, you know, strengthening urban communities and revitalizing, you know, existed, existing historic buildings um, in downtown. Do you think you could share with us some of the highlight projects you've worked on and kind of just maybe in a, in a nutshell or as many words as you want, just kind of describe what, what your team is working on? Um, okay, well, first I would say in terms of the urban community, Part of our office culture is that we're really immersed in downtown. So like everyone is on some sort of committee or goes to events or lives here or all the above. So it's, um, you know, being really, you know, really understanding the, the culture here, what's happening, but what also how things are changing. Um, so in terms of the projects that we're doing, um, the smallest project is, um, Oh gosh, no, that's actually not in downtown, so I won't use that one. Um, uh, like we did, we did a you know a thousand foot restaurant. Um, actually, it was the must on Winston. It just closed. That was yeah. That's oh, a long story, but <laughs> restaurants don't always last too long. But so you know something small like that, um, and then our largest project is in downtown, the Broadway Trade Center, which is 1.1 million square feet. It's going to have um, just the roof alone is going to have seven restaurant bars, two pools, a park, uh, event space, an urban farm, an olive grove. She so is like, there's, you know, what isn't up there? Um, another really big one we're doing is the Sears Landmark Building, which is in Boyle Heights. That's two million square feet. Um, but we do. Yeah, so we do a lot of adaptive reuse. Everything from the building next door, you know, we're going to be doing a major refresh on that and making it into um, just, you know, refresh. A lot of these buildings just need to be rejuvenated, uh, breathe new life into it. Um, others are, 
really complicated, um, you know, like another one on Broadway that's an existing high rise, but it's made out of wood. <laughs> like you can't do that. So, you know, there's just, um, it's a very wide variety of scale. Um, sometimes we're the architects only, sometimes we're the interior designers only. Um, like we're doing, there's a new construction, 30 story high rise on 8th and Spring, where the interior designers on that. Um, and then other projects we do architecture and interiors. So, um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's just any project that we can breathe new life into and do it well um, and create a, a successful project for the client as well as, yeah, strengthening the urban community, you know. Um, so as far as, like, the urban community, one of the things that, I mean, you're doing incredible work revitalizing the buildings, but um, I want to kind of touch upon this pioneering spirit of downtown LA that you seem to be really passionate about, and um, you're definitely part of it. And I, I want to know what, like, really drew you to downtown and, like, who are some of the pushers and shakers here in the community that are just inspiring you um, to keep doing the work that you're doing? So, okay, in 1999, um, the city created this adaptive reuse ordinance. And it was, a, it was a, an ordinance that basically relaxed some of the building requirements um, to encourage developers to revitalize these buildings. So we're in the historic core. The historic core was pretty much completely empty for about, I don't know, 20 years or so. Um, and I mean, the, all the upper floors were either totally empty or some of them were sweatshops. Well, I just, I, I just want to pause a really second here. I don't know if you could give us maybe just a little historical background on like why, why like this city, because it used to be a vibrant downtown. Like what, what happened? So the historic core was the original financial district of downtown. So, um, and then Broadway was the commercial and the entertainment district. And so all of downtown were these buildings because you think, you know, all these buildings were built in the 20s, 30s. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of them were torn down, which is where you see the surface parking lots. But what is uh, Bunker Hill uh, now was Victorian homes. So that was still residential. Um, <clears throat> and then basically modernism happened. So late 40s, all through the 50s and into the 60s. Um, they started building new high-rises up on the hill and over, you know, towards the financial district. And at that point, people did not like ornate old buildings. They found them to be dated and kind of crusty, you know, and they wanted something new and sleek because that was that era. Um, so as people started moving over, these buildings started becoming more and more empty. So by the time, I mean, I've... I've renovated buildings that were empty for 40 years. Wow. It's totally insane. So now every I want to be the first person inside that building. <laughs> it was yeah, there's some pretty crazy stuff in there. So it's kind of funny that I think things have turned back around the other way and people are just really appreciating the character of these old buildings. And then what's kind of fun is because some of them sat around for so long, they weren't renovated over and over and over and over again. So they actually have historic stuff inside the building, like old corridors and old doors, because it was just sitting there. Um, so it's actually kind of a blessing, <laughs> um, especially the ones that turn into residential. So, that's, I, so that ordinance happened. I was working at a firm, Killefer Flamang Architects, and um, I got thrown on 
the first adaptive reuse project, which was Tom Gilmore's fourth in Maine. So it's the Hellman, Continental, and the San Fernando building. So old bank district. And um, so I immediately got obsessed with downtown. And Tom, you know, Tom Gilmore, he, you know, the epitome of the pioneering spirit because he saw what this could become. Most people didn't see it at all. They all just said, you're crazy, you're crazy. Um, we would walk through with contractors and he'd like, see that plaster crack in the wall? Like, just leave it, it's so great, people love that. And you know, everyone's like, what, you're crazy, you're crazy. And it's just, so the pioneering spirit is you know, the people that can see beyond what's right there and are ready to dive in and be a part of the change and the shift. Um, and also, I, I personally get upset when people talk about gentrification, especially in the historic core because these buildings were empty, so no one was kicked out. Um, at least, I think of the 100 buildings or so that I've worked on, I think there's one building that was occupied. Um, so it's not about gentrification, it's, it's about rejuvenation and bringing something back that was lost. Um, and with a new, you know, more current um, energy. So, I mean, how can you not get excited about that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like that term rejuvenation because that's exactly what's happening here. And um, you're just dusting things off and, oh, well, a lot more than dusting things <laughs> off. <laughs> um, well, I just kind of staying on this topic for a bit. Um, uh, as far as the people, too, that are moving here to downtown because of your efforts. Um, and y you were speaking about, you know, kind of seeing the future. Um, where do you see the future of, like, urban living and commuting and working go? Because you also have been working on a lot of creative co-working spaces. So I'm curious to know, like, you know, what your th thoughts are on the future of, like, work and urban living. I think it's hitting it from all angles because I think the flexibility of, the way we can have our careers, the way we work, um, is completely different and is just gonna change. Um, like you were talking about your career and you basically have four different careers, right? <laughs> so, you know, that's one, that's one model. Um, my model is um, I have one career, but I maybe have different tree limbs. You know, I've, I have a development company that I've started. I'm doing personal projects and I have my architecture firm. Um, and I would say that most people in our office are doing multiple things in their lives. Maybe they're not getting paid for all of them, but there's definitely different aspects of, of that. Um, and I think living in Los Angeles, there's so many of us just getting tired of driving everywhere. And um, so living amongst your community, because if you're, okay, so there's one thing of having multiple, jobs and stuff. And then the other thing is about time, right? So nobody does nine to five anymore, at least not very many. So it's, you're always working and you have to choose the segments in which you turn off. Um, and so when all of those spaces are closer together, <laughs> whether it's, you know, where you're going to have drinks with friends, which is also overlapping with where you're working because you're talking about work or a project or you know, some idea at the same time to where you're physically needing to, to do something physical. I mean, the more that that can kind of converge, um, especially in a community that kind of sings to your kind of culture or whatever, that 
that just makes more and more sense. And it's just nice that Los Angeles, and I think not just downtown, but all of our kind of little city centers all over LA County are becoming much stronger. They're having more identity and there's more things to do. They're having, yeah, they're having the flex co-working space. They're having the living spaces and, and so it's, and even, you know, I remember when I first moved to LA in 91, you know, I was living in, I was going to UCLA for grad school. So I was living over there. And it's like, well, of course we're going to go to Hollywood if we're going to go out. It's like you wouldn't, like, that would just be such a pain in the ass now. <laughs> like, like going to Hollywood on a Friday night, what? Well, I, I just want to speak to that. I mean, like the east side and the west side, like maybe it's also, you know, because LA is so spread out that, you know, you find your own neighborhood among your own little pocket. It's like a seven mile radius. Um, well, I just, um, speaking to that point too, is uh, how, so with the changing way we are working and the close knitness of our communities now, how is that influencing your designs, especially some of your, I know you're working on a lot of commercial projects, but like some of the apartment buildings, you had mentioned urban farming. Um, but, uh, you know, how has the, the way, or I guess the shift in how we're living in our cities and with more people moving to our cities, how is that influencing your designs? Well, I think with the apartment buildings, the amount of amenities um, are just kind of off the charts at this point. It's like people can't even come up with new ideas anymore. <laughs> There's like so many, what? You don't have the XYZ, ABC, like you have to have so much stuff. But a lot of the those amenities it's basically incorporating all those aspects of your life. So yes, in your apartment, you're sleeping and you're cooking, but on the roof, you're barbecuing with friends and you're relaxing by the pool. And in the lounge, you're using the Wi-Fi and you're working or checking your email. You know, so it's like, again, all those different aspects of life that we need can occur within your apartment building. And then in the office buildings, it's the same thing. It's like, how are you bringing in that life that more personal time into the workforce. So of course the, part, the office buildings have to have social spaces. The, they never used to have social spaces before. That's a totally new thing. Um, you know, a roof garden, well, that's a requirement. Um, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, like, you know. Well, well, I, <laughs> can we just chat about roof gardens? Cause this is kind of a new like phenomenon in urban farming. Um, like what, what goes into that from a design perspective and, and what kind of like culture is that creating in the cities? Like, is it, do you think it's really going to take off? Well, the biggest problem is they're really, 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 really hard to do. Um, and I'm talking about roof gardens, like more of a social space than a growing, uh, space. Um, <clears throat> I mean, hopefully with plants and stuff, but in terms of an urban farm, um, the reason is that these buildings were not meant to have a new load imposed on top of the building, so you need to kind of reinforce things. And unfortunately, a lot of times with the most minor new additional load, the new, new codes, um, relatively new codes, re kind of require major structural upgrades to the building. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so we, I mean, we still do a ton that have a pool and a bar and, you know, some gardens, like a hotel, you know, or something like that. Because for a hotel, you got to do that. Like, you can't not have that on your roof. But smaller scale projects, it's really hard because, you know, the owner will always say, oh, I want to put a bar on my roof. Okay, and then it's like, oh, and because I know in my gut it's not going to work because just financially he can't afford it. 
but you know we kind of go through the the process, and then a lot of times it's like, no, we can't afford it. Um, so there's just the the technical aspect, which is really hard. You can do really simple ones. You know, you could. Um, just kind of keep the existing roofing, uh, make sure that it's something that you can walk on. You can have portable, smaller plants and, you know, more of a furniture-based kind of experience, which I think is fine in a lot of um, locations just because you it gets you up to the roof because roofs are amazing in Los Angeles. I mean, every roof should be occupiable. Yeah. And then other projects where you have the budget or, you know, it can work, to, like go nuts and, and you know, build out the, um, oh yeah, the other thing is if you, let's say you add a bar, a bar has to be enclosed, enclosable at night because of the health department requirements. And then that's considered new floor area. And then that triggers like a parking requirement. And so there's all these like <laughs> things that we kind of have to deal with to make it, it makes it a little difficult. Yeah, I, you know, there's, <laughs> I think, it's, it's one thing to be like, oh, this is an amazing concept, but then you also have to think about like all these other layers, like permits that are going to put restrictions on things. And That's so. about being an architect. Yeah. It's really hard. I mean, being an architect is really difficult because you have that great idea. And that's why we all went to school in architecture because like, oh, we have this great idea and we're going to be a designer. And we're going to build these amazing things. And then you get into the world of reality and litigation and codes and restrictions. And it just like, it sucks everything out of that idea. <laughs> like, you know, so coming at it from a perspective of within the parameters of these codes and these restrictions and a budget, right, and the law and not getting sued, what idea can I form out of that? You know, like really, you know, make it all gel and work. And so it's, it actually happens. Because you can have an idea, but if it doesn't, yeah. if you can't do it, then it's just an idea. Well, I mean, I have to say what you've done with the restrictions is pretty incredible. And if people go on your site, like I really encourage them to take a look or just come to downtown LA and visit some of the spaces because um, sometimes I guess, you know, the limitations for creatives can kind of produce some really neat stuff, which it has in your case. I, I just want to uh, dive a little bit into your background as a designer. So I read somewhere that you used to watch soap operas growing up and would redesign the set designs into like more realistic renderings of like the floor plans and the house plans. So where did your spark come for uh, just your infatuation for urban communities and, and architecture and design and really helping to revitalize cities? Um. Yeah, I used to draw floor plans, but but first I would draw them as as if they were real, and then I'm like, wait, these don't work because you have a stair that goes to nowhere, or you know, and then I realized, oh, sets. You know, I, I grew up in New Jersey, so I did not know anything about the movie industry. Um, I because I grew up in the suburbs, which I absolutely hated from the moment I can remember hating them. <laughs> So, but I was really close to New York City. So I would even sneak into the city when I was in junior high, like on my own. Like I wouldn't even tell my friends and I would sneak in there and I was just obsessed with like getting in there and looking at the buildings and then I'd come back. And then even more than that, it wasn't about the buildings, it was about finding those neighborhoods. Like what were those neighborhoods that were cool and you just wanna hang out, or you just wanna walk around or explore. Um, and so I think that was a huge thing for me of like getting into urban communities. <clears throat> um, yeah, and then design, I don't know, I just, I think just started drawing those floor plans in junior high and I just kind of got on that track and 
I was a very persistent kind of dedicated kid in everything I did, so, or in life. Um, so um, just kept pushing, pushing, pushing. Luckily, I happened to get on that right track. That architecture, I think, was the right track for me. But I think, you know, if I had been in, on that music track or a different track, I probably would have been just as determined to see it through and plow forward, so. I mean, because I mean, at your core, you're an entrepreneur. I mean, you started this firm um, back in 91? Or no, no, 2009. 2009. Okay, so 2009. In the recession. Okay. Um, just speaking to all the women entrepreneurs in the audience who are listening, can you share with us a little bit of some of the gumption that you had to, you know, put forth and uh, also just being a woman in the workforce, especially in the architectural world? Um, and truly, you've built something so successful. So maybe you can share some insight. Um, I was really lucky, actually. I mean, I had some bad experiences with, you know, chauvinism and being pushed down. I mean, one of my first employers, um, when I was 18, he was like, no, 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 you cannot be an architect. You have to be an interior designer. So, so those kinds of things, when you hear them, it makes you go, F you, I'm going to show you that you are completely wrong. And I remember thinking, even then, someday I'm going to hire you as my structural engineer, <laughs> if you're lucky. Um, so there was that whenever you did get one of those push downs made me want to fight back. Yeah. Um, but otherwise I mostly had really great experiences and especially at Killefer Fleming Architects, they were the most amazing bosses on the planet and it was, um, husband and wife and, um, they just, anyone that wanted to grow, grow, grow and move up, 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 they hand you the baton. So, um, yeah, I, I, I rose pretty fast there, and it was a hard decision to leave. There was another factor that kind of made me want to leave. Um, and then also at the same time, I got a divorce, um, and I had finished building a house with my now ex. And so we're like, so I, I, and I wanted to live downtown, and he wasn't going to live downtown. So I was like, the divorce, moon downtown, the... Um, recession was starting to happen and then this kind of life change at the office that made me just say huh I think I just need to totally shift everything and do it and also I, I always wanted to have my own firm but um, I'm like if I don't do it now because I think I was what like 40 I think it was 40 um, I said if I don't do it now I think it's gonna be too late <clears throat> so I just dove and when um, we made a good chunk of money because we, we built this house and we sold it right before the recession. So we just split. Talk about timing. Yes. So, we, so I had a little bucket, okay. you know, which allowed me to not make money for two or three years while I was building this company. Um, and obviously in the recession, it was a really hard time to start. But I had so many, um, I didn't realize how many people had valued my abilities in the years I've been working on projects downtown. And in that recession, um, they were extremely, all those people were super supportive of me starting my own, needed my help and support, um, always called on me. And so it kind of grew quickly. I didn't, I just didn't have, I didn't realize how much, you know, when you connect with all those people for all those years, or you're just doing a really good job for them, that it, it comes back, you know? And I think that was a big part of what came back. All the, you know, all the stuff they say about, you know, you don't make no money for the first couple of years is totally true. Um, you know, it's really hard. It's an enormous amount of work. It's all true. Um, it's just about getting up every day and just keep moving forward. I never, ever had a business plan. 
Um, everything was more about um, how do I want to surround myself in what I'm doing? And just really simple things like I'm not going to work for jerks. Um, I want to work with friends who I like who are really good at what they do. That's important to get that part in there. If they're not good at what they do, don't work with them. Um, I want to strengthen downtown and, and revitalize. Just It was kind of like those simple core things that, um, and then I would just open as many doors as humanly possible, and everything if on the other side of the door met that criteria, then I would go for it. Yeah, go for it, go for it, go for it. Um, I really like that, that idea of kind of building more of a mission plan and starting a company, and that's kind of like the infrastructure to build on everything else. And I, it seems like that's the direction that I've noticed a lot of entrepreneurs are taking too, is that you know, the reason why they're choosing to start their own thing is because they want to have choice and freedom. And sounds like you're happy doing what you're doing. So now that we've kind of covered quite a few bases here, I, I love the casual vibe of your workspace. But um, do you take the metro or do you bike to work? Or can you talk about your commuting life in the city? Sure. So I lived downtown from 2008 till 2013, 14. Uh, f 15, whatever. I've been out for about a year and a half. I lived in Echo Park, and now I just bought a little house in Mount Washington. So, I mean, I think especially because I'm down here all the time, and all our buildings are here, and I've been here for so long, and now I'm getting older, you know, like I'm inching closer to 50. I, you know, I'm like in a different mindset now. I, I'm in the I need to get away mode. Um, and that's definitely something that's one of those age things, you know, different parts of your life. Yeah, it's not like if you're turning 50, you can't live downtown, but it's a different stages of your life. You need different things. Um, so when I was here, when I was living downtown, I was, first I lived at the Pacific Electric building and then at the Roosevelt. I did both of those when I was at Killifer Fleming. So it was really fun, first of all, to live in a building that you worked on and to see all the things that work and don't work. Um, and to really be a part of the community and be able to walk. So I would walk to work every day. I would walk to, um, you know, whatever. I, I basically never left downtown. Um, except I have a kid. Um, so then there was, at that point, there wasn't an elementary school downtown. Um, <clears throat> or at least Metro Charter wasn't here yet. So I would still have to drive him to school. So, yes, yeah, so that's a pain. So, and now, um, so now I drive in. And I have to admit, I drive. <laughs> but you have your own house now. I have my own house now. <laughs> well, um, for living in the city, since, you know, I am a fashion designer, I'm always so curious to know, like, you know, what, what are your go-to outfits for working in the city and walking here and living here? Um, so for me, it's definitely comfort, comfort. And I'm glad you're not doing a video piece because I'm not wearing a typical outfit today. But uh, so, um, yeah, so basically leggings. I'm a big leggings and skirt kind of gal. Um, and then, you know, just, and then I usually kind of use my, my tops as my statement, you know, or, yeah, those are like, and usually they're simple or something that has a little more materiality to it, some sort of texture or something. Yeah. Um, and just something, but still pretty minimal. And then, um, then shoes are great. But fluvog, right? I love my fluvogs. But when you're living downtown and you're walking everywhere, 
Like, shoes are really hard. That's my big issue, like shoes. Like, how many meetings do I have and how far away are they? And then I have my shoes that I can do the two blocks in, my shoes I can do the six blocks, my shoes, not many, that I can do more than six blocks. <laughs> and, but it's like restricts, you know, and then basically everything in my outfit is about my shoes. And then it's all about my day. So I have to look at my calendar first to figure out, okay, what's, how many meetings, how far away? <laughs> I can like see your calendar and you're like scoping it out for the month and then you have I could see it like visually like okay shoes for this day this day this day. If you were leaving work on a Wednesday night and you know you just need to get away from the hubbub is there like a favorite spot? I think I mean I have a few go-tos but what I typically do is I'm always about what is the latest place that opened. So it's more about checking out what something's new. And I think that's the thing that's so fun about living here in down, or you know, being here in downtown now. Because literally it's every week there's something new. And so even the ones that like, I love Taroni is a block away and that's my go-to, especially like a lunch place or after dinner, they have a nice happy hour and really, it's just, I love Taroni. Um, but they don't have an outdoor space, which is a bummer. Or like Spring Street, um, the bar up just up the street and they have just such a great neighborhoody vibe and like sitting outside but usually it's it's always what is that new place and let's check that out um, so you know. okay um last question i meant to ask this earlier how does la compare to new york and san francisco in terms of revitalization that's going on well i have to say i think in a lot of ways it's is very similar um it's similar but it's different of course but i mean i think the the new wave of cities in the United States, especially bigger cities, the changes are similar because it is about melding all of that live, work, and play. Live, work, and play is all happening within, you know, a block or two or five blocks or something. So that's a very, very different cultural phenomenon that's ever, that has ever occurred in cities, or at least since the what, Industrial Revolution or whatever it is, yeah. <laughs> um, before suburbia. <laughs> um, so I think that's the thing that's really similar. Um, I think the thing in LA in particular, which is kind of interesting, is, is, the, is reaction against the way LA has always been so spread out and is all about the car and is all about not communicating or being with other people in a physical space because you're in your car. And I think especially um, I hate to use the word millennials, but I mean, there is definitely a, a younger cultural reaction against that. I feel, you know, especially like everyone wanting to ride the metro, you know, like the older generation is still like, yeah, I'm not going to ride the metro. Yeah. yeah. Whereas like, you know, if you're 25, you're like, oh, new metro. We got to, we got to ride it. We got to do it. Um, so I think, I think there's a big reaction against what LA has been and um, shifting much faster, I think. You know, I mean, San Francisco's always been an amazing city, and it's always been dense, and it's always been urban, and it's just getting, you know, talk about gentrification, it's getting really gentrified, um, which a lot could argue is happening in Los Angeles, too, because of all the cooler, older neighborhoods that are closer to downtown are changing demographics rather quickly. But, um, yeah. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Well, um, Corinne, this has been really fun. Thank you so much. I just, I'm like 
fascinated by this like urban planning and design world, um, especially that's happening here in LA because it's like my neighborhood. And um, I'm just, I'm really excited to see your projects keep growing um, and what you're doing for downtown. It's really exciting stuff. So thank you again for chatting with me today and good luck with all the projects that you have going on with your team. Thank you so much. <laughs>